0: University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org/slash care to be great.
2: Jake and Ben, 97.5 and twelve eighty, the zone. Jake Scott, Ben Anderson. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. What's going on, Ben?
3: Good morning, Jake. How are you? Oh, yeah. I didn't get engaged at the jazz game last night, but things are fine. Yeah, that was a that was a nice moment. I think went very viral. Did you see at that the game? Yeah, I did. It's everywhere. Congratulations to Danielle and Brandon, Utah's newest couple. Well, I, I bet they've been a couple for a while. Two years. I did some research
2: last night. Did you really? Yeah, deep dive. <laughs> newest engaged couple, maybe, but newest couple, I mean. Uh, people move quick. It's all like Utah. Right. I mean, our guy Hans Olsen moved like lightning quick, yeah. but not, you know. New couple, right to engage. Uh, ben, we're going to talk to Matt Brown coming up uh, here momentarily. He covers uh, college football, publisher of Extra Points, and uh, we'll we'll chat with him. He's uh, he, about the Rose Bowl coming up. He's followed Ohio State closely. Fog covers, uh, obviously, National College Football, so we'll get his thoughts on uh, what uh, chances the Utes have. But Ben, before we get to that, and we're going to get to him right off the top here in a moment, it is the Road Home Radiothon. It is the annual, I've been doing this now for 18 years? Wow. And um, it's awesome. We were we were talking about it before. Uh, they're an incredible organization that does uh, ground work. I mean, they they are right there helping the most vulnerable and families. And it's a it's a pleasure to be a part of this event uh, once again because it helps a lot of people and it's always um, uh, inspiring because our our listeners are are always generous.
3: It's a it's a great cause. So, and uh, it's one of the few days we get to do this. So we appreciate everybody who uh, does end up uh, sticking with us throughout the day and, and helping out because it's a very important cause, as you mentioned. 801-819-7300
2: eight one nine seventy three hundred. We'll just get the the number out there and going. 801-819-7300 You can donate online at uh, theroadhome dot org, and of course uh, the the donation is is most important. But you know, tell them you're a Zone listener because uh, truth is, uh, we're we're competitive. Yeah, and we'd like to win. We'd love that. So, <laughs> please uh, do that. But let's get out uh, to the Smart Rain special guest line. Uh, smart Rain's state-of-the-art uh, smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how and save 30 to 50% off your commercial properties. Water costs are call 877-346-3333. As I mentioned, he is the publisher of Extra Points and covers college football. He's Matt Brown with us here on Jake and Ben. Matt, thanks for a few minutes. How you doing?
1: Hey, my friends. I'm, I'm doing well. Always happy to spend some time with y'all. So, uh, huge Rose
3: Bowl coming up for the University of Utah. It's their first. How does Ohio State feel about this? I imagine this is not what they were expecting, you know, going into week 10, week 11.
1: No, absolutely, absolutely not. And this is going to be a major storyline here, I think, leading up to this game. I, I know that it is a cliche, and it's, it's something that fans don't like to hear about when you head into bowl season and the game clearly means more from one side for the other, but I think that is exactly what the case here. This is clearly it, the biggest postseason game maybe in Utah's history. They are overwhelmingly excited to be there. I think they're going to... We're looking at, what, thirty, forty thousand 40,000-plus Utah fans coming to the game, and even though the Rose Bowl is historically a big deal here for the Big Ten, Ohio State's been there a lot, and one of the big questions, I think, leading up here is who is going to be playing? Because I would imagine at least one, if not both, of Ohio State's best wide receivers and parts of their really good offensive line are going to opt out of this game, Um, and that's going to give Utah a lot of momentum.
2: Matt, talking about the Buckeyes, was there a common tissue between their two losses with Michigan and Oregon? Was there something that those teams did?
1: You know, know, honestly, they were, I, I think pretty different losses. The thing about the Michigan loss and the one that I think votes well for Utah and the one that it, it's also, I think, broken Ohio State fans' brains is that they were physically beat up at the line of scrimmage by Michigan. They got man-balled to death. And and that you know, cut to the core of the Ohio State culture identity. They want to be able to do that. I and mean, then they were the finesse team. And Michigan was just able to run the ball for six, seven yards to carry between the tackles. They, they, they don't have... Um, you know, scores of, of first-round NFL talent, I think, there. And this Ohio State defensive line is the least disruptive it's been probably in, in six seasons. With, with Oregon, I think that was some similar issues. But on the, um, Ohio State couldn't set the edge on, on, the, on the defensive line. They weren't able to get any kind of pressure. And so Oregon, the same thing, was able to run for six, seven yards a carry and have really open throwing lanes. So if Utah is kind of making their bread and butter, this idea here that we're going to physically dominate you at the line of scrimmage, well, normally you can't do that against Ohio State, but Oregon and Michigan were able to.
3: When Ohio State was at their best this year, not in those two losses, but when they were at their best, what were they doing? What were they able to do?
1: When they were at their best, this is probably the best offense in college football. Um, what makes it so particularly dangerous is that there are I uh, really five skill position players, and everybody plays, who are a threat to score a touchdown. Literally every time they touch the ball, because they have first round speed. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson um, were the two best wide the best wide receiver pairing uh, in college football. That you have a deep threat, you have a threat over the middle. Travion Henderson is. And not only a really good wide receiver out of the backfield at running back, but somebody who can take a, a simple off-tackle carry to get to the second level, he's gone. Nobody in the Pac-12, uh, even even Oregon, would be able to stop him in the open field. So when they were at their best, you could pencil in Ohio State for scoring 45 points. Um, and that they're, they're in a position where they can make up 17 points in three drives in four and a half minutes. The, the problem with them was sustaining drives. And stopping anybody. This, this, this is, the Ohio State defense has not been what it's typically been.
2: So Matt, it's great to have you on to get a national perspective uh, in uh, on this game. And I want to get kind of the natu- national perspective of the Utes. And, and do you think that the college football fan out there appreciates uh, what a great story that Utah is. And, of course, uh, you follow it, and Ben and I cover it on a daily basis. But, you know, losing a couple of teammates, uh, having kind of a, a mercenary quarterback, and that didn't work out. But the guy who had fought for the job for years comes in and, and turns it around. I mean, it's just a it's just a, a great story. Do you think it's getting the run it deserves nationally?
1: Uh, probably not, I think, in, in, in part because – it's, it's been relatively recent that Utah has been playing really nationally important games, and this is the, uh, the struggle about being in the Pac-12 is that a lot of those games are going on uh, when the the media centers of this country are asleep or watching something else. Uh, I think leading up to the Rose Bowl, you're going to hear that a lot more because you're exactly right. Given the enormous amount of adversity, and I, 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 again, that, that's, maybe not, that's not even the right word to use for this, right? But the, the, the trials and difficulties that this program has faced um, over the last, year and a half, two years, uh, to the way that this roster is constructed, and really the, the, the turnaround story. It was very easy, I think, if you were in the Midwest or on the East Coast to simply not think about Utah come October 1, and they're demanding it. And, and quite frankly, I think it is more likely than not that they beat Ohio State. Uh, and that would be, the I think, the, the perfect ending uh, to what Utah has been trying to build in this conference and what this program is right now.
3: Utah has had a slew of guys declare for the NFL draft, but it seems like throughout everyone's planning on playing the Rose Bowl because, like you said, it might be the biggest game in Utah football history, and then they're going to start getting ready for the draft after that. What's the yeah. case with Ohio State? Are, are there players that are planning on skipping the Rose Bowl entirely?
1: I have not heard any, I, anything specifically on this front, but the last few times that Ohio State has played in a New Year's Six Bowl game when they're not in the college football playoffs. First round or second round uh, talent has opted out. When they had the Rose Bowl a couple years ago against Washington, they had multiple players opt out. And it would surprise me if Ohio State's uh, you know, one or both of their most elite wide receivers play in this game. Uh, you have a couple of people on their offensive line, as, was, as I understand it right now, are, are still making a decision. Um it would, it would be a big upset if Ohio State is at full strength up and down this roster. They're, most of their secondary and most of the defensive line uh, are not seniors uh, or not people who are, are ready to jump to the NFL uh, or people that are you know, mid, mid-round picks that could still benefit from a really strong performance in this game. But I would, not, I would expect Ohio State's offense is not going to be at completely full strength. It would, it would, be, it would go against form if everybody ends up playing.
2: So, Matt, kind of give us the latest. Where do you think the college football playoff is, is headed? How many teams? And uh, give us the time frame that that's on, too.
1: So what I, what, the best way, I think, to describe this, based on what people have been telling me, is that college, the, 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 the power brokers in this sport, these conference commissioners, operate the same way that we did when we were juniors in college and we had a term paper due. You know, panic makes a really effective muse. <laughs> They've had a chance now to have lots of uh, lots of expense dinners and go to uh, you know, the finest Marriott conference rooms in, in suburban America over these past couple of months hammering out these meetings. And now you're coming up on some real deadlines in the beginning of next month because if you don't make this decision, I believe in, in, in early to mid-January, then you're kind of stuck with the the, uh, the the format through the duration of this contract. What I have been told is that everybody agrees that they want to expand the playoffs. Just everybody agrees at this point that when you expand the playoffs, you want to make sure that multiple broadcast entities um, have the rights. It's just not going to be a solely ESPN-produced uh, entity like Fox or CBS or NBC or somebody else is going to get some of these games. That's very important to the non-ESPN stakeholders, particularly the, the Big Ten right now. The, 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 big, the, the truth big questions are, do we go eight or 12? And my money right now is, is still, 12 is more likely. The big question is, who gets automatic bids? And how is that determined? And that's, that, that's still being hammered out right now. I, if I had to bet, I think that you're gonna see an agreement to expand this playoff before um, the actual deadline, but they're going to take every day possible to get to that point.
3: Matt, it, I've been you know covering college football, not certainly not as long as you have, but but it feels like already in the last handful of years it's changed dramatically. But one of the really cool things you've done on your your extra points newsletter is you go back through you know some of the most unbelievable headlines in the history of college football. Uh, are we just is this just par for the course uh, as far as how crazy college football is, and we're just kind of in this new era of it, or does this feel somewhat unprecedented to you?
1: Some of these changes are absolutely unprecedented, right? Like they, the The seismic changes that name, image, or likeness breaks is not like anything we've seen in college football before. and It's not that college football or college athletes generally are now suddenly being paid. People have been getting paid since 1905, right? And businesses have recognized that athletes are marketable really since the turn of the century. But the amount of, of institutional corporate money that's that to that be flowing into this world and how that's changing recruiting and how that's changing how uh, uh, program staff themselves and identify themselves yeah like that is really new the, the acceleration of spending both on salaries and facilities and on infrastructure that's really unprecedented that's increasing at a rate higher than it was right in, in the very beginning of the uh, explosion of deregulation um, Craziness and coaches changing jobs, craziness and upsets, craziness and realignment, like that's all been a constant, but some of the the really structural changes are happening at a rate that we haven't seen before, and there's a really good chance, I think, next year that some of those changes could expand even more, because we've got three or four other court cases and the National Labor Relations Board that are going to take a, a, a direct aim at the very concept of amateurism. So it is. It is not impossible that we could be talking next December and about how um, how the unionization effort is going at 12 different schools and what athlete collective bargaining looks like. That is. That's not a crazy pitch anymore. Uh,
2: last thing for me, Matt, and uh, we appreciate you coming on. Is Lincoln Riley the right guy to make USC USC again?
1: Man, I, I tell everybody. And I know this makes for terrible radio, right? That. Uh, trying to project what coach is going to be successful somewhere feels like an impossibility. And it especially feels like an impossibility to me at places like USC and Texas. Because having a big-name coach and a big-name coach who can recruit talent has never been their issue. Even under Clay Helton, who I, I don't, I mean, even people who've been covering the Pac-12 for a long time, I think some of you, some folks wouldn't be able to identify him in a lineup. He's been such an anonymous guy. USC's still been able to recruit really well. So I'm sure Lincoln is going to recruit really well. and. And, and have that golden personality, and Lane Kiffin did that too, the problem has been about development. The problem has been about getting boosters and administrators and everybody on the same page. So for a lot of these blue blood programs that are struggling, your USC's, your Nebraska's, your Texas's, your Miami's, I think the rock there is in the floorboards. So that's bigger than, than, than one coach. Um, and it's going to be an interesting challenge uh, for Lincoln Riley's ability to develop a program, because a lot of this really has nothing as, as to do more more to do with uh, getting suits on the right page than getting five stars to come to Southern California. That hasn't been the issue.
2: Well, Matt, thank you very much for jumping on with us. We really appreciate it, and uh, I think it's a it's a great matchup in the Rose Bowl. I think it should be a really fun game.
1: It should be it should be a lot of fun. I can understand if you are. Uh, a Columbus native like like I am, that maybe you won't enjoy it very much, but it should, it should be a great football game for the rest of the country.
3: Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt.
2: Uh, that's Matt Brown. He's the publisher of Extra Points, covers college football. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Brown EP, and
3: uh, was a terrific guest. That was uh, that was interesting. No, Matt's really interesting. Uh, has some ties to the state. I think he's written uh, for some local blogs before. He's kind of made it big, and then yeah, his Extra Points uh, newsletter is very cool. It really goes back to some crazy, hilarious headlines of college football. But but he's got a real uh, real feel for what's going on uh, across the country. This whole
2: player thing is a it's a real can of worms. Yep. That was interesting to hear him detail where he thinks that could be going. And right. he did stress that could uh, the also. But uh, in the, the playoff, I think it's certainly going to expand. Uh, he's right about the television aspect of all this, that uh, they're going to want to not have ESPN be the exclusive provider of those games. Yep. It gives the – well, because – and all this is probably not interesting to our listeners. But the the ESPN, uh, ESPN pushed out CBS – from the SEC. ESPN is now the exclusive SEC uh, rights holder, right? and they're in bed with them with the SEC network and all of that. And so the Big Ten, almost by default, is now Fox, and Fox is part of the Big Ten network, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of voices in the room, Ben. But the the, the all those voices are excited about paying Ubo dollars right. to air whatever
3: the product is. Did you have a problem with the uh, Jimmy Kimmel bull? Some of it got a little bit goofy. Certainly, at the halftime oh. everyone saw it, where the uh, Jimmy Camel, which was the... hilarious, <laughs> I thought it was funny. And then he went and threw up over the uh, dock, which I think was a little over the top for some people. Still, I funny. honestly think it it's funny, Who and cares? that's what Jimmy Kimmel is. The show is funny. You know, they're kind of goofy and they're over the top. And I really didn't have an issue with it. I know some people the did. The
2: players, Ben, went on the show. Correct. Correct. How amazing is that? Right. I don't care what gag they pulled during the game or whatever. It's it's cool. Utah State. Listen, and and I truly believe this that bowls are set up to be a reward for the players, or they should be. It should be part of the experience. I believe in amateurism, Ben. That they're not professional athletes who deserve to have some good experience, and it's not all about winning and losing. And my heavens, you got the both teams on Jimmy Kim, on national right. television on one of the you know uh, iconic shows that's out there and in uh, comedy. Awesome. I think it's great. I think it's worth it for that reason
3: alone. Yeah, I'll, I'll be curious if at some point we start drawing the lines on who can sponsor certain bowl games. You know, Barstool did one, and a lot of people don't like Barstool, uh, and I don't think even even got televised. I think Barstool ended up taking the exclusive rights to broadcast it on their uh, on their website. They but dreamed it. But but also kids. Being able to go out and endorse certain products like, Where's the line going to be for that Because I think that's going to continue to change and, and different strange companies are going to try and get involved For the idea of being like, hey, this is an area We weren't free to explore before But because it's an 18 year old or a 19 year old kid Who really doesn't care about what he's endorsing We'll just put anything out there And see what we can pay him and see what they'll accept It's going to happen It's going to happen for sure Yeah, just don't touch shoes Correct
2: Leave your uh, greedy paws Leave your off the shoes. And you can do whatever you want. Tattoo uh, a gambling site into the back of your head. We don't care. Just don't you wear Reeboks. <laughs> Are Reeboks a thing anymore? Yeah, I think people have Reeboks. I don't have any. Because uh, that's what the Olympics ran into, right? Yeah. Way back in 92? Yep. In the fame where Michael Jordan wore the... The, the, the flag, flag uh, because uh, he didn't want to he's a Nike guy yep. didn't want to wear Reeboks want to remind you about our friends at Zero Res if you're prepping for the holidays Zero Res can help clean up before and after festivities keeping your carpets clean well into 2022 give them a jingle 801-288-9376 or book online at Lake.com, up north com. it was funny what Matt said about the panic being the reason that the NCAA does anything well you know, combining two conversations with this nil stuff and and where it goes with the players, the panic really did them some disservice because they basically just got rid of all the rules without establishing framework. Right to to start things off. In fact, to continue the joke, the only framework they really established was hands off the shoes. Right. Everything else, uh, knock yourself out. Which is and then going back in retrospect and saying we're looking into BYU and the their built bar deal. Are you? Because you didn't, because you panicked, right? And you didn't. Prepare. You burned it to the ground, yeah. And now you're like, wait, that's that's not what we had in mind. You don't say, right? It's it's why there's usually a big process to this sort of thing. But as Matt said, they're really just eating expensive dinners and telling each other how important they are, which is
3: great, is is really great because it's not like there's young people's lives at stake or anything. The fact that it seems like they hadn't thought about this at all before it happened that they didn't have this contingency plan waiting and just say well it's probably to go one of two ways depending on a supreme <laughs> court decision if it does we need to have this ready to go this plan ready to go the fact that they acted like they got completely caught off guard by it all and had no concept of what was coming yes is one of the worst parts but like matt said like you're saying they seem to just be making it up as they go along and just be the, the, the same way we saw it with uh larry scott and the pac-12 just gonna live off the 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 free milk as long as you can get it as long as you can be uh uh getting free handouts the way he was and stealing money that way just keep making it up as you go along because you're gonna get fired at some point just steal as long as you can and that seems to be the case for a lot of people in the NCAA
2: and this this might be my most 40 year old take ever but I'm slowly losing faith in the leaders of academia surely and these are the people who are making the decisions that we're talking about right now. And just because, you know, folks out there are great academics and reach high places right. at universities, it doesn't mean they're the greatest no. at running, uh, By any means. Uh, like, uh, an athletic, basically, organization. Yeah. And speaking of a lot of voices in the room. And there's voices at the top that may not know what they're doing. So. All right, Ben. It is the Road Home Radiothon. We want to get this number out there as much as we can. Call in and donate. Whatever you can, it makes a difference. 801-819-7300. 801-819-7300. Or you can go online to the theroadhome.org. Uh, each day, the Road Home serves approximately 750 people with their emergency shelter alone. Over 1,500 people with housing. About uh, 2,250 people each night through all of of their different programs. And uh, Ben, I know you noticed walking into the building, it's cold out there. Really cold. It's Brutal. cold Yeah, Imagine having no place to go. Yeah, And uh, the Road Home is all about, you know, it, it says it all in the name, of course, the, the Road Home. They're, that's what their programs are, are designed to do is give people the boost when they need it the most. And these folks are right there on the front lines helping every single
3: day. You know, I'm excited for We've got a white Christmas coming up. We got you know storms coming in, which I think is fun for the skiers. It's fun for everybody who's excited to you know kind of have the romance of the holiday season and after Christmas. But really, for a lot of people, that is a very dangerous situation. This is the right time to be helping out if you can.
2: And Ben, we're not down. Usually, we're down there, and yeah. we're we're not down there again this year for for obvious reasons. But uh, I'll tell you, a couple of years ago, I was down there in the afternoon, and and when I saw the kids get off the bus from school, yeah. And just how many kids yep. got off the bus yep. from school. It really hammered at home. I mean, not that I – every year it seems that you, you find these moments that really hammer at home. But that was one that, that really stood out to me. And it's like, oh – Man. So, uh, any help you can give is great. 801-819-7300. Or also, Ben, if you want to go buy, uh, either one of their resource centers, uh, they take, uh, donations, you know, coats, socks, gloves, hats, boots, all, all that sort of stuff is all very important. Either 529 West, Ninth Avenue in Midvale, or the, uh, that's the Family Resource Center, or the Men's Resource Center is 3380 South and, uh, 1000 West. What would that be 10 West? Yeah. Penn West. Uh, right there in South Salt, Lake, uh, South Salt Lake. So if you can, uh, donate in, in whatever way you can. And, and again, the great part about uh, these next couple of days with the Road Home Radiothon is always get inspired by our listeners and their generosity. So we appreciate uh, each and every one of you. 801-819-7300. 801-819-7300. We'll plus, have, plus, we should also note that the Huntsman Foundation's matching all your donations. Oh, yes, Up to a million you, dollars. Ben. So every dollar you put forward is actually $2. How generous is yeah, that? it's incredible. That is... That, That is incredible. Absolutely making an impact on people's lives when they need it the most. So 801-819-7300. Or you can donate online, theroadhome.org. That's theroadhome.org. More next. Jake and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jacob and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We have some news that could affect the Jazz, but it is the Road Home Radiothon. Call and donate now, 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300. Uh, any donation, uh, whatever you can afford, we appreciate Or you can go online, theroadhome.org. Ben, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeting out, The NBA told Christmas Day teams to be prepared for game times to shift as late as December 24th with a priority on filling the ABC windows of 2.30 Eastern, 5 o'clock Eastern, 8 p.m. Eastern, according to a memo uh, shared with the 10 teams playing on Saturday. Now, right now, the Jazz are slated to tip off at uh, 10.30 Eastern, 8.30 hour time, but it sounds
3: like that
2: could possibly move, and there's really nowhere to go but earlier, so...
3: We'll keep an eye on that, I guess. And that's because we're seeing games get suspended all over the place. You know, uh, there's a game tonight between Washington and Brooklyn suspended. Now, that matters coming up on Saturday on Christmas because Brooklyn is also set to play the Lakers at 6 p.m. Both of those teams have actually had major COVID issues already this season. Uh, Jazz and Dallas have not so far. Atlanta has had a lot, but Atlanta's got the early game, 10 a.m., playing against the Knicks. So it's not like if they canceled that, they would move anything around. I think no. they would just shell that game and say, whatever, we're not going to have right. a spot. But uh, they're going to try and get the 12.30, the 3 p.m., the 6 p.m., and the 8.30 games all filled. That's our time, not Eastern. Uh, so there's, I think there's a real chance that you could end up seeing, if that Brooklyn Lakers game gets canceled, the Jazz moving up to 6 o'clock. That wouldn't be surprising at all.
2: Me personally, I would not complain about no, that. No. no, don't don't move it up in, any further, though. That's, no, that's it's probably Christmas. Pretty, I don't want to go three o'clock. That's good, but I don't hate the not eight 8:30 thirty start. Eight thirty is pretty brutal. That's late. a pretty late game. <laughs> no, the best thing that ever happened last year was them moving all those eight thirty games to eight o'clock starts because mm-hmm. they were reacting to the bad ratings or whatever. It's like, yes, that's wonderful. Eight o'clock still late, but. Not uh, not 8.30. But uh, Jazz playing on Christmas, uh, the earlier you can get also, the more you, you get showcased. So the more people are watching. Uh, the Jazz got a Christmas Day game, but that, that 10.30 Eastern slot
3: is, is a late one. But along those lines, uh, Shams literally just tweeted this out seconds ago. Contavious Caldwell-Pope from the Washington Wizards has entered the health and safety protocols. Where, well, where were the Wizards on Saturday? Here in Salt Lake City. They you know? were. So there's just there's just as you play Eastern Conference teams, you know, the Jazz played have played two of them now in the last three days, you're just going to run into it, unfortunately. You know? And you're on the court and you're guarding these guys and you're breathing heavy on each other, it's just going to get spread around into these uh into these leagues. So it's going to hit the jazz too soon, unfortunately, coming up in the next little bit. If not if it's not already here.
2: What did you think and we haven't talked about this uh and at risk of of going down the, you know, discussing the coronavirus too much. But what do you think about the the NFL basically saying, we're not going to test anymore? Uh, Because the NBA's reaction was, we're going to test more, and we're going to be more stringent.
3: The NFL just said, we're just going to self-report. Did you see Jared Goff's interview? He did an interview with a radio station because he's in the health and safety protocol as well. Uh, So he wasn't playing because he did test positive. So Jared Goff, the quarterback for the Detroit Lions, said, here's what's difficult for me. And I I have total sympathy for this. Last week, he was feeling really sick and tested. And they said, no, you've got the flu. You're fine. Come in. (laughs) Come on in. Come on in. And now he's got light cold systems, uh, uh, symptoms, Symptoms, but did test positive for COVID but he's pretty asymptomatic for the most right. part and they said yeah don't come anywhere near the building it's okay like, I, I, at this point because these teams have pretty private medical staffs can take care of one another most of these guys I know the NFL is less than the NBA but most of these guys have vaccines and have their booster shots, so they're not going to get really severe long COVID symptoms for the most part. Ninety-five percent, the NFL, I think, is it that high in yes, the NFL too? It's so ninety, so it's yeah, yeah. still good. Right, a lot of these guys have, you know, gotten the vaccine, which, as by all the scientific uh, numbers, show that like it really helps. It's really going to prevent you from getting super sick and and almost eliminate your chance of dying completely. T- to still. Let somebody come in with the flu and not let them come in. And look, I admit, you shouldn't be coming in. You shouldn't be going to work if you're getting people sick, you know, and the idea of spreading it. But I understand why the NFL is doing this, what the NBA is doing right now, with just letting teams go out and sign a million players to come in and replace, and you're not going to recognize any of the names. It's just going to be, It. it it's not like there's a ton of dignity left for the season as it is. There's not a lot of integrity for what we thought the season was going to be. So, I... I I'm fine with what the NFL
2: is doing. And by the way, if people want to disagree with this take, I'm fine with it. Those of you maybe who haven't listened to me very much, uh, I'm always fine with dissenting opinion. I think it's what makes this country great. Uh, But back when the NBA was, was trying to finish out the 2020 season, Ben, Society was basically at a standstill, and they were trying to get permission in a sense to do it, so they created these standards, which were absolutely ludicrous, but it got people to get out of the way and say, yep. oh, "Okay, go ahead, I mean doubles ping pong Ben they had to legislate that yep. you couldn't play right. doubles ping pong right i mean it it especially in hindsight, it was just even though I was saying this at the time, just ludicrous yeah but it it's what they had to do to get permission. To finish the season. Right. The next year, very similar circumstances. They're, they're <clears throat> operating, they're playing in front of limited fans. I mean, they were basically trying to get permission from society to do it. So they created these standards, which were difficult to live by, but in a sense, they created the environment where they could complete it. It was more strict than society for a reason. Right. Well, now, why is it more strict than society? Right. Correct, especially with the vaccination, which is, I think, a huge game changer. I guess some people disagree out there, but it it limits the 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 death and hospitalization, which is which are the those are the that's the issue. Those are
3: the big things. That's the issue.
2: Yeah, yeah. and provides people protection. And so why, you know, I get it. Why we held them to a high standard for the last couple of years because they needed to operate where other people weren't. But why are they held to a higher standard now than the rest of society? Ben, you and I are both vaxxed and boosted. Right. Right. More than
3: comfortable to come to work with. Sure. I, you know, and I hate, I I honestly hate talking about it because I don't want to pretend I'm a medical professional. Because all you hear are just the horror stories. Right. Of of nurses, doctors, people wanting to quit their jobs, people just being horrible, you know, because of what they're going through by working in hospitals right now, which is saving people's lives and people not taking it seriously. So I, I don't want to sound... Passive or like I don't care about the issue because certainly we both do. And like you said, we've done what we can. My family's all boosted up. My kids are. Like I've I've tried to do every single thing I can to make sure we're as well protected as possible. And still at a certain point, you can only go so far. You know, we still got to come to work. We still got to go to the games. There's still media members. We're still in the same room as Quinn Snyder and Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and Boyan Bogdanovich last night. And they were in the same room as Contavious Caldwell Pope. Like it's some of it's just unavoidable. And we're in a room that's the size of, you know, we're in a studio here that's maybe. What? 60 square feet? Not even that? Maybe 50 square feet? Like, it's just inevitably going to be really difficult to do. So finding the spot right now for how the NBA plans to proceed or what the NFL is planning to do and just saying, we don't think our guys are going to get so sick because they're at this point where they've gotten vaccinated and it ends up being up to them. And we can probably take care of them pretty privately. I, I, I get why the NFL is taking that approach. And I personally don't have a problem with
2: it. To, to get to your point about uh, you, you know people, speaking of on the front lines, we're talking about uh, the road home, but uh, the healthcare industry and those sorts of things. I, I don't think that situation gets any worse if the NFL stops daily testing. Yeah. It's not their fault that
3: that's happening. As long as the influence doesn't you know as long as it's not this influence of like well the NFL doesn't care so I don't need to care or the NFL is not being careful so I don't need to be careful I could see why that would be an issue but what they need to be preaching is hey we've got a 95 percent vaccination rate that's why we're comfortable yeah, playing right now because we're we have the ability to take care of our players That is not reflective of what normal society is like. But to your point, they are already operating at a different level than normal society, than the way we are. They are testing every week. NBA is testing every week, and it's going to be changing up to every day now, which is why all these guys are testing positive, even though nobody else is doing that in the rest of society. So I I totally understand and agree with what you're saying.
2: All right. Well, I'm glad we could have an adult conversation about that. It's difficult
3: stuff. It's hard. That's the the ultimate thing. It's hard to talk about because it's a hard topic. Because what... Uh, the, if we had easy solutions we wouldn't still be here but we are a year and a half later you know 19 months 20 months later we're still dealing with this as a country as a world as a country because nobody's had a good solution to it and so i understand why people are trying different things and i don't think that's necessarily the wrong approach well there probably is no solution to it but there is certainly a big a big time mitigating
2: factor that's out there and that's the vaccine and both leagues the nfl and
3: nba have been pretty good at that And I mean, as we're speaking, Namias Cada from the Sacramento Kings, former Utah State Center, entered the league's COVID protocols. It's just rampant in the NBA right now.
2: All right. Stay tuned. We'll have more Jake and Ben coming up. It is the Road Home Radiothon. We're raising money. We need your help. 801-819-7300. We're helping families when they need it the most. Uh, You can also donate online, theroadhome.org. Tell them you're a zone listener because we're competitive and we like to beat the other stations. And we usually win, Ben. I say usually because we had a streak going of like it had to be could have been ten years and we did not win last year. Oh, so we need to bounce back. Let's do it. Those weirdos at X ninety six won last year, and we cannot let that happen.
3: No, and honestly, it's just. It's a good cause. I understand why last year was difficult for a lot of people. A lot of people were out of work. A lot of people didn't know what the future was. Luckily, the economy's bounced back quite a bit. You know, I, I hope that if you're in a place where you can give a little bit of money, any little bit, it, 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 A, it's multiplied because the Huntsman Foundation is doubling all your uh, donations right now. But the fact that the Road Home is so efficient and works with the right people to make sure that you know you go and give somebody a dollar, and it certainly is going to help, but you give the Road Home a dollar... And, it, you know, it's worth four or five times as much because they know how to get stuff at a very low cost to really help people the way they need it. So it's a very, very important cause, maybe no more important cause in, in, in the state of Utah with our weather during the winter. All right.
2: Uh, call now, 801-819-7300. Uh, donate. You can also donate online, theroadhome.org, theroadhome.org. More next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Neil?
3: little Neil. You ever have to apologize for Neil.
2: Jake and Ben ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone. Jake She's Scott, from the, uh, Ben Hans Olsen collection. Yeah, He's really Hans big Neil guy, right? Is a really big Neil guy. Like, like, have I mean, you? What's that terrible movie about uh, the diehard Neil Diamond fans? You know what I'm talking about with the American Pie guy, Jason Biggs.
3: No, nothing. It's
2: not really nah, at it varies all.
3: Very slightly. The, the Diamond Dogs, no, based on. Uh,
2: Hans is a little that way. Hmm. like I could see him kidnapping Neil Diamond like that could that could be a thing
3: there's a famous story you and I are kind of music guys uh, The Last Waltz which we've talked about a little bit on the show which was a Scorsese movie was the, the band was the band they used to be Bob Dylan's backup band uh, they held their very last concert it was on Thanksgiving Day and they invited all these people it's one of like the greatest gatherings of musicians of all time right Bob Dylan's there Clapton's there Joni Mitchell's there Neil Young is there it's unbelievable uh and Neil Diamond randomly was like friends with the guitar player. So, Neil Diamond comes in and performs. And obviously, Neil Diamond, of the names I just mentioned, not that he's not a great musician. He just is not that type of musician. Didn't, doesn't fit that mold, Doesn't really. fit that mold. So, he comes out and he does this very Neil diamond like show thing. And is walking off the stage and apparently cross paths with Bob Dylan. And he says to Bob Dylan, beat that. And Bob Dylan said to him, as long as I don't go fall asleep on stage, I think I'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Really?
2: That's a great story. So some bad blood there, apparently. Very different musicians. Really different.
3: Bob and Neil. Yeah. (laughs) Very. But you know what? In retrospect, to each their own. Everyone's trying to make people happy. Make a buck while they're doing it. Neil Diamond
2: has has randomly caught a like another wind in popularity from uh, like stadium anthems of all things.
3: Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, is it has one of the all time great like sports songs now. Maybe the great sports song uh, with the seventh inning stretch that they do is it, It's in Boston, right? Yeah, Did they do that. Yeah, but they do Incredible. it everywhere. Now. But now they do it everywhere. Now everywhere. they do it. Everywhere. Oh, and it's the ultimate karaoke song. Like it is. He does. He has a. He will live forever based on uh, that song. And Alone. you know
2: what? Someone really needed to fill the Gary Glitter. Uh, gap That was That was left By his Horrible story The Hay
3: song I don't think you hear that Anywhere right no. you, got, you had to find something else But I mean Forever in Blue Jeans Is an incredible song It's got some Neil Diamond hits
2: I like Neil no, no, I not I've, not got, I've Neil, got multiple uh, I've got multiple Neil Diamond uh, Vinyl Vinyl Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, joining the show now, of course, it is the Road Home Radiothon. 801-819-7300. It's, it's probably the most important thing that we do all year long. And we're, we're so proud to be a part of it. 801-819-7300. And you can go to the org. But no, joining us now, uh, Josh from the Road Home. And Josh, we appreciate you uh, jumping on with us. How are you?
4: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to talk with you guys.
2: Now I should ask: Is it is it Joshua or Josh? Because I just kind of presumptively shortened it to Josh. I apologize. <laughs> That's no worries. Not, uh, but we appreciate you jumping on with us and and helping getting the word out about uh, what it is you guys do and and how many people you help.
4: Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. We're so excited to be uh, be able to hop on today. We help about eight eight hundred uh, to nine hundred people.
3: So what, when somebody donates, you know, a couple of dollars, $5, $10, if they go up you know, as much as possible, we certainly welcome it. How, how does that money directly go to help people? What's the most practical use for it immediately for the people
4: in need? Sure, I mean immediately uh, thirty two dollars can provide an emergency shelter for an individual every night um, forty five bucks you could help someone cover uh, their application costs to find a housing uh, option for them um, you know it, it could be a hundred dollars can provide emergency shelter for an entire family you know so a thousand bucks provides two and a half months worth of housing support for an individual. It goes directly into services uh, and goes directly to people experiencing homelessness and the services we provide. For
2: them. And and we really miss being down there this year um and and yeah. seeing all you guys in in person because uh, you know you get to meet and see that you you're talking about families and and that's who we're talking about that's who we're helping you know people that just need a little bit uh you know you guys say it all in the name right the road home just need a little bit of a
4: boost
5: yeah.
4: Yep uh, you know, folks just fall in hard times. And we're the ones, uh, we come in and we, we try to help get them back up onto their feet and moving forward and getting that key in that doorknob and opening it up and they have their their home, own home again. It's wonderful.
2: Well, thank you so much for, for what you do. Thank you for coming on the show with us. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll we'll have a good day, good couple of days, and uh, and do a lot of good. We appreciate it, Josh. Thank you.
4: Thank you. You take care and you have a happy holiday. You too.
2: All right, that number again, 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300. You heard him say right there, 32 bucks provides one night of emergency shelter for an individual. So you can make an
3: immediate impact. But even like you said, $45- Really might save somebody's life as far as getting them the ability to apply for somebody to live full time, you know. And it's it's little things like that you don't think of. as it doesn't need a lot of money to get somebody where they need to be, but they just don't have the forty five dollars, the fifty dollars for that application fee just to get started. And it's it's so important. So if you can, and again, the Huntsman Foundation is doubling all your donations right now. So
2: and their operating costs have really gone up. We're going to have Michelle Flynn on a little bit later on in the show, the executive director, where she was talking about it this morning. I mean, everybody loves that their property values are going up, and that's great. But it also makes like finding homes for people that really need it significantly more expensive and difficult so uh you're you're certainly your help is needed now more than ever uh so we'll get to more coming up next it is jake and ben 97.5 and 1280 of the zone jake
3: and ben 97.5 and 1280 of the zone jake you're a swifty you should like this version and you're also a george michael fan you're also a huge wham guy sure it's all right
2: i like (laughs) taylor swift George Michael and Wham, you know they have their place. Yeah,
3: they have their place atop the Mount Rushmore of uh, what an adult contemporary.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> what, about what, what right. What
3: was Wham considered yeah. in the late eighties,
0: early nineties? Like
2: yeah, uh, Ben, you may have heard, uh, but I amazingly predicted Rudy's twenty
3: twenty game. I last did. I night. saw Tim Lacombe <laughs> on Twitter. I don't follow I, you on Twitter, but I do follow Tim, and Tim said it. No, you just don't. Uh, you don't post your takes necessarily. No, I'm a, I'm a radio guy. Yeah,
2: that's yeah. But, you know, social media is I, – I am of the age where, Ben, I think like if I were a couple of years younger, I'd be way more into computers, social media, are, all that stuff. I'm in that weird last gasp
3: of – You're like right on the edge of – are you a millennial technically? Technically, but technically, barely. But like the least millennial. You have. Right. You have more Gen X. I think in you than you do millennials. Yes, to be I made it. You. I made millennial by a couple of months. Yeah, but you really do kind of have more of a Gen X right. feel to you. Yeah, thank See, you, Megan. Megan agrees. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, think Megan, you and I are both pretty firmly millennials. Yes. Yeah, I'm a little younger. Now.
2: Like I didn't get my first cell phone, and man, I was I was a pager guy. Hold out till the end, uh, till I was like probably pff, twenty-one, twenty-two. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a laptop in college. I was one of those like. Huh. I said blue books were still a thing when I was in college. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not as engaged in social media and like my personal life either. Right. Just not, right. It's just
3: not a huge thing for me. It was never tied into like your social no. platforms. The way it really is. For people, I mean, we call it social media. Not everyone does it for the social aspect of it. But now as a younger person, it is fully tied to everything you do. Everyone you know, it's how you communicate, etc. You never really had to rely on it. That right. much. Right.
2: Like, I I come from the age when you still had to be at home to get a phone call. Right. Uh, I was going to encyclopedias from, like, grossly outdated encyclopedias to write papers in, you know, like the mid 90s.
3: But what made you think Rudy was going to get a 2020 last night? Because he hadn't had one all season.
2: Honestly, my logic isn't exactly how it played out.
3: Okay. But
2: the Hornets are dreadful rebounding the ball, the worst and the worst defensive team in the NBA. Right. So those were really my two reasons, and they didn't have anybody who was going to really bother Rudy all that much. And usually when the Jazz offense is popping, that means that Rudy's got a lot of shots at the rim and the other team has to adjust. So I thought maybe Rudy gets out there and eats a little bit, and uh, the Jazz end up scoring 150 points, right? Which is not how it panned out at all. I was kind of right about them getting the ball to Rudy, but instead of him getting a bunch of dunks, the Hornets fouled him a ton.
3: I was happy to see that the Jazz, after the failure on Saturday against the Wizards, where they just neglected to give him the ball too often, they were just not willing to make some difficult passes to get him the ball when he had nobody between himself and the hoop, but the Wizards were kind of fronting him on some of these roles to make sure that the Jazz would have to throw a difficult pass to Rudy, and they challenged him, and the Jazz didn't respond, and that's good coaching from Wes Unseld, but the Jazz made a point to get Rudy the ball yesterday. And then, like you said, the way Charlotte defended him is they tried to trap the pick and roll. So they always had a big out there. And then they tried to bring somebody in from the corner to guard Rudy. And that ended up being LaMelo Ball, who fouled out. I mean, they put him at the free throw line 16 times. Yeah. And he made 15. And he made by 15. The way. He was incredible. Career high for him. Uh, but yes, the way they played defense also beckoned the Jazz to give Rudy the ball. And it was so, successful.
2: I kind of thought that that would be it. But he did, obviously, I would never have predicted he would have gone 15 or 16. I mean, I mean I'm pretty proud of my 2020 prediction, Ben, considering he's only yep. done it six times in his career. Correct. But, um, yeah, I, I, you knew he was going to go out and dominate the boards. Like, I mean, the Jazz are a good rebounding but team you know for what?
3: one reason and one reason only. That's because Rudy's a really good rebounder. One of the things that has to happen, which is really funny to look at these numbers. Let me pull this up and see if this is accurate because I'm pretty sure it is. So the Jazz finished with... Uh, okay, they did it. It was 68 rebounds. I mean, that's a ton of boards. Incredible, Because everyone shot so poorly last night. It was an absolutely horrendous game. Brickfest. Uh, so the Jazz ended up shooting 35%. It's the first time in three years they've shot below 36%. I mean, that's how rare it is to just even shoot that poorly. They've done it 86 times historically since 1974. So that's going back to New Orleans. Uh, they've shot below thirty six percent eighty six times. They've only won the game seventy eight times. So, or I should say, they've only won the game eight times. There you go. They're eight and seventy six all time, including last night in uh, in, in games when they shoot if less they than thirty six. One seventy eight. That would be that'd be yeah. Never shoot amazing. well. Yeah. That's the <laughs> best winning percentage in <laughs> NBA history. Yeah, they they only win. They've only won eight games in their uh, eighty six outings when they've uh, shot that poorly. So.
2: To back that up, how about this one? Uh, Tyson Ewing sent me uh, this one last night. Uh, they had 68 rebounds. It's the most rebounds in a non overtime game in franchise history, wow. or
3: at least going back to 1977. This this never shocked me. They had 22 rebounds in the first quarter. Yeah, 22 rebounds. I mean, there are games where there's not 22 shots in the first quarter. I mean, I was feeling pretty good about my prediction. Yeah, after that, by the way. But I mean, look at the horrendous shooting, and I could pull this up. I'll pull up. Rudy was riding a very long stretch of games when he'd shot better than 50 percent from the floor. But even Gobert shot four of 10 last night Royce O'Neal was awful shooting the ball one of nine and didn't hit a shot until the last minute and a half of the game Donovan Mitchell was seven of 20 which is not the least Donovan Mitchell like stat line but he was two of 10 from the three-point line Mike Conley who's generally mega efficient was four of 13 shooting Joe Ingles who's usually a good shooter was two of seven Rudy Gay was two of 11 I mean just everybody everybody had a truly bad shooting night it was it was pretty shocking
2: and it feels or it felt like to me anyway that the shots were there because again the hornets defensively are rough yeah uh, but uh, yeah and it wasn't happening uh, for the jazz but the good news is though and Rudy talked a lot about this in the post game they uh, they buckled down defensively this was their best defensive performance in a couple of games. Because Charlotte offensively is really good. And it's not like they shot the ball well, Ben. Uh, 38.5% from the floor and 15 of 43 from three. So it's it's not like they were extremely efficient
3: either. Last night snapped Rudy Gobert's streak of games shooting 50% or better at 64. Which is huge. I mean, that's an incredibly long it's very good. stretch of just saying, yeah, he just shoots better than 50% every game. Which means you've got better than a one-point-per-possession Scoring average Which is why he really is Viewed as like one of the most Dangerous offensive weapons In the NBA It doesn't mean he's one of the Best offensive talents But his ability to score Efficiently is a Is a great skill for the Utah Jazz Or is a great weapon For the Utah Jazz So his ability to go out there And do that is pretty remarkable 64 is a crazy streak So to see that end last night And the Jazz still find a way to win Actually is very good I also was a little surprised after the game, talking to everybody about how well they thought they played. And I, I get it. Charlotte only scored 102 points. they the number two offensive team in the NBA. That means you're doing something right. But it was incredible how bad of a first quarter Charlotte had. The Jazz still blew a 22-point lead. Sure. Charlotte did not shoot the ball well either. Charlotte only shot 39% for the night, so they were under 40%. They had, and they only finished with 13 turnovers, but man, the number of times they simply just threw the ball away by throwing a goofy pass, and some of that is because the Jazz defense forced them into making some bad passes, but the number of unforced mistakes Charlotte, I thought, made last night was shocking. I didn't think the Jazz played as well as they celebrated in the postgame, but I recognize that they fully needed a win, and they didn't play well either, and you'll take that where you can get it.
2: They felt good about it because they played hard, Ben. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I'm sure they felt good about it because they went out there and and poured a bunch of effort into it.
3: It's funny you say that term, played hard, because I asked Quinn Snyder about this specific thing. You may have heard it yesterday Uh in the pregame show because last week De'Aaron Fox went on this pretty epic rant that was, I'll call it a tirade, in fact, it was filled with expletives about playing hard versus playing sharp. And we've talked about this a little bit. Everyone plays hard. That's how you get to the NBA and you play hard when you're there. But if you're not sharp... You're not doing anything right. And sometimes I do think the Jazz mistake the two. Sometimes the Jazz run really hard and overpass and are flying around the court and over-closing out on defense, and they're not doing the little details, which is spacing the right place, standing in the right spot on the floor, executing at the right timing. Like Some of those issues are off for the Jazz, and I actually still thought a lot of those were off last night. I did not think they were terribly sharp on the offensive end. Sure.
2: Well, you, you certainly can say that. I mean, the stats bear out what you're talking about there. And find out a way to grind out a victory. Though win is win, and Charlotte's really good offensively, yeah. and they weren't really good offensively last night.
3: No, they were they were bad, but Jazz and, were part of that. And Rudy was awesome, and it helped to not have uh, Gordon Hayward out there, certainly. But they, you know,
2: the Jazz have to find different ways to win games because it's it's you know they've got this kind of Ferrari offense kind of thing. And teams just aren't going to let it be that easy when it comes to, in the, you know, when you get down to the playoffs and teams have time to scout you. And, you know, if, if Rudy can win an ugly game for you by going 20-20 and 20 and you play some sharp defense, you're going to need that quiver in the, you, you know, you're going to need that in the arsenal.
3: We Sorry, talked I mixed about up
2: that. my metaphors there. No,
3: we, we talked about that. I mean, we, we talked about the Jazz win games when it's easy. And the nice thing is they're so talented, a lot of the games are easy. Right. But they don't win a lot of the hard games. At least they haven't so far this season so when they found a way to get a win like last night uh that was extremely important you know what i'm looking at this rudy gobert this might have been the. i think rudy gobert was the all-time leader in streaks of players shooting above 50 64 according to stathead.com which is a great service is the longest ever in nba history uh the next closest is deandre jordan at, deandre jordan at 40 so he was 30% more I mean half again more that surprised me because I thought honestly the answer to that would have been Shaq right I would have thought so too and I'm glad to hear
2: you You have that nuanced uh, take about Rudy because not only do I think you're accurate but I've had this long running argument for years with friends about whether or not Shaq was good at basketball
3: dominant yes yes
2: Skilled at basketball?
3: No Certainly had some talent I mean you know We can remember him in the 90s I, I used to watch inside stuff That was like the way You could watch uh-huh. basketball There was no the jump Or whatever uh, And you know I remember the highlights Of him going Coast to coast And he could certainly Pass the ball a little bit Obviously never learned How to shoot not, and didn't have any Of those abilities I'm
2: not saying he was Carrillo
3: Fasinka. Freakish athlete You know what I mean really, His spin moves His feet were pretty good But his best weapon Was that he was 7 foot 3 And 310 pounds And could jump ran over folks and dunked yeah and liked it and liked maybe it. the best thing about Shaq was he kind of liked basketball I actually don't think he loved basketball because he was never in shape like he could have easily been the greatest basketball player of all time right most dominant certainly he could have had conservatively eight titles if he had cared more he really let himself get out of shape you know didn't try that hard in a lot of games didn't because he was so skills. big right he kind of did the, I'm so big, I don't have to develop some things. Which I, is understandable. It worked. He won five titles. or four. He won four titles. A 3 P with the Lakers, and then one is one in Miami. Uh, and I, in my opinion, was the best player on all, every single one of those teams, including in Miami with Dwayne Wade. Was better than Kobe. Was certainly more important than Kobe in all those championships in L.A. Uh, but probably easily if he had taken care of himself and really cared and had the work ethic of a Carl Malone or a Kobe Bryant, some of these guys who have really put in the time in the offseason – He could have been the best basketball player of all time. Because he was the most... At his peak, he's better than any player I've ever seen.
2: But not at basketball. He was dominant. Yeah. Listen, if he would have shot foul shots, he would have been unstoppable. Period. End of story. The only way to stop him was fouling. Yeah. And so if he could actually have developed some skill and shot foul shots... Then he would have been the most dominant basketball player of all time. But I'm not going to call him the best because his skills were not the best. There are far there are
3: other basketball players that were far more skilled. Correct. Lots of guys. And you don't have to be that skilled if you're that big. That's the nice thing. You know what your skill is that you're so big, running
2: over people. Yeah, and dunking. That does not take skill, Ben. That takes mass. Yeah.
3: Correct. No, mass I think you're right. is not
2: a skill, Ben.
3: I. Sure, it's a genetic luck, you know? But it's like I said, playing hard. Yesterday, we had this argument is playing hard a skill? Some guys have it, some guys don't. Is that something you're born with, or is that something you develop? I think there's probably a lot of different ways of it. Now, size is obviously not something you develop, but an ability and a desire to want to play hard. I mean, I remember Rudy Gobert, his kind of first breakout performance in the NBA was in Minnesota, and he came in late and he just started dunking everything. It's like, oh, there's a difference when a guy wants to dunk the ball. Not every big guy wants to dunk the ball every time they catch it. And now it's kind of funny because even Rudy, some of the complaints is like last night, he's like, you missed four dunks. (laughs) Like there were times when he tried to go up soft and he should have gone up and just dunked on the smaller opponent, even though he still leads the NBA in dunks every year. It still feels like at times he could do that more. But that was kind of the first obvious thing about Gobert of why he might end up being a good offensive player is because he wanted to dunk the ball every time he caught it. And he still tries to most of the time. But you're right. That was Shaq ended up doing. Shaq.
2: Yeah, he it's interesting. I wonder if a Shaq somebody and truly he was more athletic than anybody that size has ever been. And and I'm not trying to wholly discount Shaq here because he was certainly a unique player. I wonder if he came along again if the NBA would be forced to change.
3: In what way? Like the rules or the way the NBA no, most, like the most way most rosters teams look. Don't even have a center. Oh, I, my, my one of my theories on the NBA, and I know we've been meandering here. I apologize. One of my theories on the NBA, which I very strongly believe, is the style of play is dictated by the best player in the NBA. So you had Michael Jordan, everyone wanted to have you know guards and types of guys like that, and we kept looking for the next Michael Jordan, which is where Kobe Bryant came from. But then, yes, Shaq comes in, and you have to. Every team has a Greg Oster tech. There to. was thirty Greg Ostertags tags in the NBA right. just to guard Shaquille O'Neal, and then LeBron James comes in, and, and everyone's talking about playing small. Well, what we did is we just needed to have guys who were super athletic, and you don't have guys who are seven foot two and that are that athletic. So you need a bunch more six foot seven six to six foot ten guys like the Rudy Gays of the world. They can go out and move their feet, and and that what that ends up developing are the Jason Tatum's and the Jalen Browns and those types of the Gordon Haywards, the Paul Georges, like these types of big forwards that are there to try and mimic some of what. LeBron James can do. It's just is, and now it's going to be Steph Curry. And the weird thing about Steph Curry, which is funny, is that it's way easier to find the body type of Steph Curry. It was impossible to find Shaq, but you found thirty-seven footers who were stiffs to come be in the NBA. It's really hard to find six-foot-nine athletes. There's just not that many on earth. Now there's a bunch of really good six-foot-three people, and you're already seeing these guys coming in the NBA. They're doing it. I mean, Donovan Mitchell is a ripoff of Steph Curry. I know it doesn't seem like that because he dunks, but you look at the way he plays basketball right now when he's taking eight or nine threes a game, I mean, that's a ripoff of Steph. Trey Young, Dame Lillard, all these guys are a ripoff of what Steph did, and that's what the entire next generation of players is going to look like until there is a counterbalance of the next Shaq body that comes into the league. And make no mistake, there will be another Shaq, and the league will stop doing some of the stuff it's doing now because everyone's going to need to have a seven-footer to guard this one player. And it's just going it has to be that way. That's how the league works, but that's fun. Like I said, you can't solve basketball, and that's what makes it so enjoyable.
2: The dunk will always be the best shot in basketball. Yeah, layups and dunks. I mean, you know, the, the nerds can come in and and break down how important the three is, and, yeah. and I get it. It is. And it is. But the dunk is still the oh, best Oh, Donovan
3: shot. Mitchell passed up a layup, was on top of the rim, and kicked it out to Royce O'Neill. It was a horrible play. Yeah, Royce O'Neill got an open three. He missed it. But you had two points. You're not getting two points per possession right. on your threes, on, on an open three, because you're not shooting 60% off. And your
2: odds of getting fouled on a dunk and
3: going to the line anyway yeah. are high. And then even if you're Rudy Gobert, who's not a great free throw shooter, you're still getting, what, 65% of the free throw line, maybe even at 70%, and then you're at 1.4 points per possession. The, you know, like, it's way still way more valuable to be at the rim. The Jazz shot 37 total free throws last yep. night. That's, how how why they, they, that's, that's why that's why they were a shot basically none, right? 9. 9. That's that yeah, that was the difference in the game. Crazy yeah. to win a game by 10 when you outshoot somebody by 30 from the I mean, free throw that in rebounds. They had 68
2: to 51. Yep. And then 37 free throws to 9. That's the difference. In a game that they didn't play well. But that's the, I mean, man, we're bringing lots of lots of different takes here together, but uh, I mean, that's why you have to win games like that. Yep. If you're truly a great team and you don't have it, you still have to figure out a way to win.
3: Defense, rebounding, dunks. It's good to have games like that, too. It's good to be able to go back to that game and say, well, we won this game this way, and we're going to have to come back and and figure out how to flex that muscle once again.
2: All right, uh, Ben, we want to remind you about our friends at Davis Vision. It's the fifth annual Black Friday sale. It's been extended through December at Davis Vision. If you're tired of those contacts or glasses, get LASIK now. Save $1,400. Limited spots available. Act now. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call 801 Two five three thirty eighty. 253 3080 that's 801-253-3080, uh, it is the Road Home Radiothon, it is going on right now, uh, we're getting the word out, tell your friends, 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300 is the way you can donate, you can also go online, theroadhome.org. And uh, donate. Um, the Zone Sports Network Twitter account tweeted out a link. Uh, I think uh, we both retweeted it, Ben. We're trying to make it uh, as easy as possible for you to get in and uh, donate because we need your assistance. Right now, Zone listeners so far have donated uh, $20,000. So that's a pretty good start. The leader right now, X96, who we've got to catch, Ben, we'll catch him. is at forty three grand. So we've got some work to do. We've got some work to do. So we need your help. 801-819-7300, and of course, we are very competitive, but uh, the donation is what matters, yep. the the help. So uh, let's get out to the Zone phone. Joining us now, the Chief Deputy Director of the Road Home. She is Michelle Eining with us here on Jake and Ben. Michelle, thank you for uh, for a few minutes. We really appreciate it. How are you?
5: I'm well. Thanks, absolutely. Thanks for Thanks for having us. So we were just talking about this.
2: Give to give our listeners kind of an idea of uh, you know when they donate. We talk about it a lot. That really, there's no donation too big or too small because you guys make every donation go a long way.
5: Absolutely. I think in this hour we're actually having a triple match um, through the Huntsman Foundation, and um, so every, every dollar is, is tripled that you give. Um, right now we're looking at about thirty-two dollars a night provides one night of emergency shelter for an individual. Um, but you know, five, ten, two dollars will take it, it. It all helps. It all counts. And it all is tripled during this hour. So.
3: Uh, and we've talked a little bit about this. I mean, it it, it is getting more expensive. It's getting more difficult uh, in some of these ways to, to, to help people when they need it right now, especially when it's cold outside. So so the donations right now, especially if you can triple them, are, are more important than ever. And then, yeah, I mean, you look at the weather forecast, and it, it's fun for a lot of us who get to spend the holidays, you know, getting to choose where, where we're going to be staying and get to go out and play in it. But some people don't have that same option.
5: Absolutely. It is getting colder out there every day um, and anything we can do to get folks inside and warmed up and get their basic necessities um, is really helpful.
2: You know, we what you do, Michelle, is, is extremely hard. You're dealing with, you know, real life stuff with, with people who are going through the, the worst parts of their life. But how rewarding is the other side of it? We talk about the road home. How rewarding is it for you when you see a family who, who you know, gets back to where they need to go thanks to just a little boost when they needed it the most? That's got to make your heart feel good
5: absolutely it is it's absolutely the best thing you know i've i've been with the road home for 27 years um and can't imagine calling anywhere else home or doing any other kind of work you know it 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 feeds our souls to to help um get people in out of the cold and get people back into housing as quickly as we can um every everybody needs to be in a home every child every you know all of them they need to be inside
3: so you did talk about you know thirty was it thirty two dollars gets somebody in for the night and provides them the night. Can you talk us through what that night looks like and the services provided and what they have access to and, and exactly how this money really does help somebody in, uh, in a specific night?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know that that covers that helps with our staffing costs. It also you know it gets somebody inside. We have the staff then there to assist them, case management, help people with housing housing programs, help people fill out applications, and get in touch with landlords that are that you know work with our populations. Um, but folks get access to food and. Healthcare options and laundry services, showers, you know, all of those things somebody can come inside and and get when they come into the road home.
2: Maybe folks want to donate some goods. You know, of course, uh, financial donations are are always great, but uh, you guys need a lot of stuff, including, uh, you know, coats, socks, that type of thing, right?
5: Yep. Coats, socks, underwear. Those are always, you know, anything that your folks, that you you need to keep warm, our folks need to keep warm um, and just to live their daily lives. So, yeah, those very basic necessities. Socks and underwear is one of our greatest needs um, in all sizes from, you know, children to to larger adults.
2: Michelle, thank you so much for for jumping on with us. And, and truly, thank you so much for what you guys do. Uh, it, it's amazing. And it's a pleasure to be a part of this event this year.
5: Absolutely. Thank you all so much. We really appreciate you. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, Bye-bye.
2: That's uh, Michelle Eining, Chief Deputy Director uh, for The Road Home. You can call and donate, 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300, or go online, theroadhome.org. Or uh, if you want to donate in person, 529 West, 9th Avenue in Midvale, 3380 South, and 10th West in uh, South Salt Lake. But
3: as she said, you know, your uh, donations are getting tripled right now. So $30 basically helps uh, somebody get off the, the street for the night, especially at these kind of brutal temperatures that we have in Salt Lake City. So 10 bucks right now during this hour will get you up to $30. And as she talked about, it's not just, you know, a warm bed for a night. It, it's all kinds of very critical services, uh, health care, food, laundry... A shower. I mean, all sorts of things to just, you know, help people get back on their feet and, and get to where they're looking.
2: 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300, or roadhome.org Top three stories, KSL Sports.com. Coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
5: It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today.